Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, September 21st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Army Corps of Engineers evaluates plans for the Yazoo Backwater Pump Project. Then the Mississippi Supreme Court rules against further expanding absentee voting, while an injunction in federal court requests an immediate ruling in a similar suit. Plus, state officials say Mississippi is faring better in the battle against coronavirus transmission than it did following the 4th of July. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Damage assessments are being sent to the Army Corps of Engineers to show how a flood prevention system could have made an impact in last year's historic flooding in the Mississippi Delta. Plans for the Yazoo Backwater Pump Project are being evaluated by the Corps of Engineers after months of damage assessment. In a press briefing Friday, Governor Tate Reeves was flanked by Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith and Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce Andy Gibson to express their support for the project. Agriculture is one of the biggest assets and one of the largest economic engines in our state, particularly in the Mississippi Delta. Last year, we experienced a huge hit to that economic success. The 2019 backwater flood was beyond catastrophic to the Delta's economy, which means it was beyond catastrophic to Mississippi's economy. It was also catastrophic to the infrastructure, to the workforce, and to our quality of life. Families who had lived in the Delta for generations, some were forced to pack up and move. Small businesses that had grown within their communities and supported them for years were forced to shut their doors. Homes that have stood for decades were either washed away or made unlivable. We know that Mississippians are strong and resilient but they should never have to face a challenge like this alone. I know that many may feel that their problems and their pleas for help have been ignored, but I want everyone in the Mississippi Delta to know we have not forgotten about the flood and we have not forgotten about you. 
Hyde Smith, who served as Agriculture Commissioner from 2012 until her Senate appointment in 2018, says the assessment being sent to the Corps outlines the sincere need for the pumps. You know, it's so important for so many things, but the information detailed in the MEMA report is important for another reason. It ensures the Corps of Engineers has the much relevant information as possible in carrying out the required environmental document for the pumps. We have to substantiate the uh, sincere need and the facts that are there. I remain in contact with the Corps, which is continuing to uh, work diligently to prepare what we call the Supplemental Environmental Impact Statement, and that will be up for public comment. But this process includes the economic assessment of the projected benefits and the cost of the uh, project of overcoming what we went through in the Delta. Over half a million acres underwater for more than six months. And as he said, you know, seven, almost 700 homes either damaged or destroyed. And then the crops that were not replanted. We have to analyze all this and we have to evaluate those losses and get them in the form that uh, MEMA has done so well that we can present this and go forward. So we feel really good about the pumps, but a lot of it will have to do with this study. So it is just uh, one more step, but it's a very big step in getting this done. So we had a lot of indicators of the damage and the cost amounts. Now we have a lot of evidence to back that up, and the dollar figure will be even higher than this. But it is substantial in ensuring that we get the pumps in place and hopefully prevention down the road of this catastrophic flooding. Current Ag Commissioner Andy Gibson says the report is what the Corps has needed to move forward with their planning. He says the agriculture devastation of the recent floods are reason enough for the pumps. When I was on the Mississippi River about three weeks ago with Colonel Robert Hilliard, uh, I asked him what we could do, and he said what we need is this evidence, this information, the very type of information, Governor, your office, MEMA, has put together so they can complete their environmental impact study. We are expecting that study to come out in the near term. We are optimistic about it. We all agree on the fact we've got to finish the pumps. And for those who have opposed this project for years past, the environmentalists and activists, all they have to do is look at the documented evidence of the thousands of examples of wildlife that were destroyed as a result of this. The agricultural damage speaks for itself, over $800 million direct loss in terms of crops, not counting, as the senator said, crops that were never able to be planted. I was in the South Delta six days ago or seven days ago and saw thousands of acres that would have been growing cotton or corn or soybeans, and it's growing weeds and grass. And it never was able to be planted because, in addition to the 2019 flood, it flooded again this year due to the high river levels, and it just was too wet to plant. So our South Delta uh, neighbors need our help, and we're never going to stop working on this project. As uh, the senator works in Washington, D.C., we work here in the state of Mississippi, uh, we will never forget the floods and the need to finish the pumps. In addition to the flooding of farmland, the Yazoo backwaters floods have caused tremendous damage to homes, infrastructure, and jobs. Mississippi Emergency Management Agency Director Greg Michelle says unemployment has been a major consequence of the flooding. One of the things that we tracked during that during that disaster period that we had to provide uh, to FEMA when we got the IA declaration was the unemployment piece and unemployment. 
uh, for that period of time rose, I believe, and I'm, I'm trying to go back somewhere around 2 2.5% for that area, which for an already impoverished area, that, that's significant. It's significant anywhere. Um, and then those that were relied on those agricultural-type driven jobs uh, were out of work for a long time. And in, in some of those areas, and, and Commissioner Gibson addressed it a little bit, um, un, and learning a little bit about the, the crops and how they're planted, were not able to be planted not only for that season but even for the next season because the ground's still saturated. And even this year, no, we've been – distracted with other things this year, a lot of other things, um, it's important to note that it flooded again this year. We had in upwards, uh, I believe, near close to 300,000 acres that were underwater at one point this year. So the impact to that area has been significant, uh, particularly for those that relied on, on uh, the economy, the local economy for jobs uh, has been significant, and that's been one of the things that's really drove, drove, driven not only the agriculture piece, but driven the need to have these pumps there. Both state and federal officials from Mississippi say they're optimistic the Environmental Protection Agency will be more receptive to the plan following the recent report. Coming up, the Mississippi Supreme Court rules against further expanding absentee voting, while an injunction in federal court requests an immediate ruling in a similar suit. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. MPBonline.org slash weather is here to keep you updated to stay safe. As the only statewide radio and television broadcast network, it is our mission that you are informed and prepared before severe weather hits. MPBonline.org slash weather keeps you up to date with the latest weather news and safety tips from the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency and the National Weather Service. To be informed before the storm, visit MPBonline.org slash weather. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Lawyers for the Mississippi Center for Justice argue absentee voting should be expanded in the state during the pandemic, granting eligibility to voters who wish to avoid crowded poll sites in adherence to public health guidelines. But late last week, the Mississippi Supreme Court struck down that argument while clarifying what conditions do allow a person to vote absentee. Attorney Robert McDuff of the Mississippi Center for Justice Justice explains the ruling with our Desiree Frazier. In the lawsuit that uh, the Mississippi Center for Justice and the ACLU of Mississippi filed, the Mississippi Supreme Court just issued a decision. Um, they agreed with the lower court, with the Secretary of State, and with our clients that if a person has a physical condition that is a physical disability and that puts them at a risk of more severe consequences, from COVID-19 than others, then they can vote absentee. Mississippi Supreme Court also said that if a person can vote absentee, if he, if he or she is under a directive from his or her physician to quarantine. Uh, unfortunately, the Mississippi Supreme Court did not go further and hold that people who are trying to follow public guidance to avoid crowds uh, should be able to vote absentee. We took that position. The Mississippi Supreme Court has disagreed on that. It said that the Chancery Court judge was wrong in the decision that was made. 
Yeah, they they said the Chancery Court judge uh, was wrong in a certain respect. But the key part of the Mississippi Supreme Court decision was that they, they set out the secretary of state's position, which agreed with us in large part that as long as something is considered a physical disability, um, a voter who has it can vote absentee if it causes that voter to be at risk of more severe consequences uh, than anybody else uh, if they catch COVID-19. So, for example, uh, if a person has heart disease, a person has kidney disease, a person has uh, severe asthma, the person has diabetes, uh, the, the Mississippi Department of Health, the Center for Disease Control, have said they are at a a risk of more severe consequences if they catch COVID-19. So people who fall fall within that group can vote absentee. And the Mississippi the Secretary of State has said it, and the Mississippi Supreme Court agrees with that. And so your argument that because the state health officer told people to avoid uh, large crowds to social distance and to wear a mask, that that should be interpreted to be a doctor's order not to go into polling places that are crowded. That was our position. Our position was that, you know, public health guidance to avoid crowds should be considered a, quote, physician-imposed quarantine, end quote, for purposes of the new part of the statute that was added on this past summer. The Mississippi Supreme Court has disagreed with that. And so if a person is is otherwise healthy, um and 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 they don't have any sort of physical disabilities, uh, they have to vote in person, which is too bad because it really puts people uh, in a difficult position uh, if they want to exercise the right to vote. Um, and so people who, who are going to have to go to the polls uh, should make sure they wear masks. They should uh, try to go at hours when there are not going to be crowds. They should avoid early mornings. They should avoid lunchtime. They should avoid the late afternoons and early evenings. Um, But if a person does have a condition that puts them at a greater risk from severe consequences, um, and if that if that condition is is a physical disability, then they can vote absentee. I'm just throwing this out um, because there is the supposition that the elections are not, especially the presidential race, is not going to be decided the same day that the voting takes place. Maybe two days, allowing people to vote over two days because of the pandemic might be a viable option? You know, the secretary, the, the legislature could go back into session and and pass some additional laws making it uh, safer for people to vote. For example, they could provide that uh, that circuit clerk's offices should open on Saturdays during October and allow people to come vote in an outdoor setting uh, so that they don't have to run the risk of transmission of COVID-19 in, in small polling, indoor polling places. So there, there are plenty of things the legislature could do to make things safer, and there's still time to do that. Is that something you would broach with them? Oh, sure. And I'm, you know, I'm going to be talking to some people I know in the legislature about that, and I'm sure that has been considered by some. Uh, the problem is that 
that the legislature really restricted um, the ability to vote absentee uh, with this sort of narrow, narrow law they passed this past summer, apparently because of some concerns about mail-in voting. Um, so if that really is the legislature's concern, they still could do things to make it easier and safer for people to vote, such as asking circuit clerks to, um, to, you know, accept, accept, uh, ballots on a Saturday and let people vote on a Saturday, uh, in an outdoor setting prior to, during, during October, prior to the election. Your thoughts on the decision? Well, I think the decision, um, is, is not, did not go as far as it, as it should have. Uh, I think the, the the laws passed by the legislature could and should have been interpreted to allow everyone who is following public health guidance to vote absentee. But, the you know, the Supreme Court obviously didn't agree with our position in that regard. But it still does make it clear that people with conditions that put them at a risk of more severe consequences from COVID and that our physical disabilities can vote absentee. Attorney Robert McDuff with the Mississippi Center for Justice, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you. Also late last week, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights filed a preliminary injunction in federal court asking for an immediate response to a similar lawsuit already filed in part by the League of Women Voters. That suit seeks to address certain procedures within the absentee voting process, like ballots requiring two signatures. Christy Wheeler of the League of Women Voters also wants voters to be able to correct rejected ballots. Coming up... State officials say Mississippi is faring better in the battle against coronavirus transmission than it did following the 4th of July. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Blues Archive is a collection of sound recordings, photographs, memorabilia. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We get researchers and blues fans from all over the world. Over 70,000 audio recordings in the Blues Archive. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's health officer says data indicates the state is not yet seeing a spike in cases following the Labor Day holiday. The state's COVID numbers sharply rose in July following Independence Day. Widespread transmission led Governor Tate Reeves to issue a statewide mask mandate in August. Dr. Thomas Dobbs says he's glad to see the state is not repeating the trends from earlier this summer. Thus far, We haven't seen a significant signal from Labor Day as an autonomous sort of driver, Um, whether it's intermixed with some of the college stuff 
or some of the school stuff. I mean, we certainly have seen outbreaks in schools and outbreaks, and, and some of the outbreaks in schools were Labor Day related. So there are some signals we've seen, but they've really been around the, the younger age folks. So as an independent sort of general um, driver of, of new cases, we haven't seen the same signal we saw after Memorial Day and Fourth of July, and I'm, I'm, I'm very glad of it. Governor Reeves credits Mississippians for the state's progress, but notes the decline in cases could be sharper, noting a suspected flattening last week. We are making uh, significant progress with respect uh, to COVID-19, but the reason we are making significant progress is because of the fact that you, uh, the people of Mississippi, have stayed committed to doing the little things. Little things like wearing a mask, staying six feet apart, Avoiding large gatherings it is because of your hard work that the numbers continue to fall. But we cannot let up the gas. Now is really the time to put our foot to the floor and make sure we continue to stamp down COVID-19. In the report that we got from the White House on Monday, we had a little over 3,200 cases Uh, That's down from a peak of 9,300 cases, one of the first reports that we received. And so we're down almost two-thirds to 70% from the peak. But I'll tell you, when we get a report on Monday from them, what we're going to see is that this week was relatively flat when compared to last week. Now, we came out of Labor Day. We wanted to watch very closely what it looked like. We have not yet seen a major spike out of Labor Day. But this week we were flat, and so we didn't see a continued significant decline as we have seen for the last five or six weeks. As fall nears, college football season and the state fair are receiving more attention from state officials. The 2020 state fair will take place this year with modifications to make it compliant with pandemic public health guidelines. When asked why the fair is getting the green light while large social gatherings are prohibited under his executive orders, Reeves pivoted, claiming the fair is a business venture. I think with it, with it being, um, with the fair being taking place on the state fairgrounds. Uh, obviously, the um, it is a, a it's a bit of a business operation to a certain extent. the The entire fair commission is funded. Um, what was the fair commission? The legislature made what I believe to be a very good decision this year uh, to take the fair commission and, and put it under uh, the the budget of the Department of Agriculture. Uh, but it is. I think it's more of a uh, business operation than uh, than it is uh, a social gathering. Um, the revenues that are that are generated actually help maintain the fairgrounds and other things. And so, um, again, I don't think I, I I don't know of any amendments that need to be made. But should they need to be made, we'll certainly look at that. Dr. Dobbs says it's important to give the residents of Mississippi something, and thinks the fair is a good solution provided it's well regulated. I'm worried about everything. Just ask the governor. Um, and so, yes, I mean, it does concern me. Um, but certainly understand, you know, that as we move through this, we're trying to find things that people can do uh, safely um, and, and live our lives a little bit. And so I've met with the um, uh, with the commissioner and, and his team and, you know, uh, kind of like with the football stadiums, right? I mean, um, there's going to be a lot of folks there, but if we can, if we can do it properly, and that's one of the things that's different about a social event than this is um, they're going to have um, basically a um, a safety marshal to oversee it. 
Um, they're going to make. They're going to ensure um, masks. They're going to screen for people going in. They're going to maintain social distancing. They're going to have spacing between um, the, on the rides. Uh, um, you know, so it, it it should be you know pretty well engineered. Now, I, I still would recommend people who are maybe older or have you know uh, chronic medical issues that might be worried about it to do everything you can to mitigate risk, and that might be to avoid crowds of, of this magnitude. But, um, you know, we understand that we got to live a little bit. And, and if it's something outdoors that we can do safely, um, you know, we're, we're prepared to try to help make that happen safely. Mississippi has reported 93,364 cases of COVID-19 since March 11th, with 2,810 related deaths. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.